how are we putting a spotlight on the people who built that company that is going public in a way that's going to resonate with our audiences, but also with theirs, because the people who follow them and have been for a while, um, they want to know, you know, how this how this company is celebrating this momentous day and how their what their future looks like as a public company. Wow, Anna, I tell you, Kelsey is so insightful and there is so much great content in this show. But what she just articulated, I think, is powerful because we all kind of have to deal with this sometimes as social pros. Here is Kelsey, head of social media for NASDAQ, a business that revolves around prices and numbers and ones and zeros and dollars and cents. And she has to find out a way to make this emotional, to make this visual, to make this exciting and compelling so much that you want to read the post, you want to engage with the post, you want to comment with the post. Wow, what a challenge. And wow, she sure is delivering. She really is. You know, Adam, I have to say that before um, Kelsey was on, I thought I had an idea of maybe what NASDAQ would be posting on social. I thought maybe I knew what their feed was going to look like. And when I actually went in and started following them and really looking into it, I was so pleasantly surprised. And you can really hear her talk about the people and investing in the people. And then you go look at all of the things that they're doing and it shows and it really reflects. It is about people. It's about their stories. And it's really amazing. There's so much opportunity that they've taken advantage of. There's so much that they've tapped into that I really think everybody should go follow NASDAQ right now and see exactly how they're bringing it to life. It is. It's a great case study in, in, in creating uh, storylines, you know, around around content, and uh, and it's really kind of in as as Kelsey gets into it, kind of Nasdaq's DNA, uh, and that's one of the exciting things that I think that she is is adding to uh, in terms of their uh, legacy from a marketing and communication standpoint. Absolutely. And we're going to get into all of that with Kelsey today. But before we hear from Kelsey, we have a few things that we want to talk to you all about. First, today's marketers face even bigger changes stemming from a global pandemic. The COVID-19 crisis has forced us all to rethink everything and in a socially distanced world. The sixth edition of the State of Marketing Report from Salesforce presents the insights of nearly 7,000 marketing leaders across the globe. Their research highlights the strategic priorities, challenges, and technologies that transform the profession. These are especially important to consider as businesses navigate from crisis mode to back to work to growth. Download your free copy today at bit.ly slash new marketing report. That's bit.ly forward slash new marketing report. And that is, of course, from our amazing friends at Salesforce. Now, in addition to that amazing new report that you can download, you know, Adam, that one of the biggest things that we work with a lot at Convince and Convert is data. And when we get it, it can be incredibly tedious and time consuming to gather all that data from multiple different channels. But what if there's a tool out there that can help everyone automate that process? Well, let me tell you a little bit about Supermetrics. Supermetrics is the leader in marketing data delivery solutions that helps marketers and analysts move data from popular marketing and sales platforms. Over 16,000 plus data-driven companies use Supermetrics for marketing reporting. It works well with tools you already know and love, such as Excel, Google Data Studio, Google Sheets, BI tools, and data warehouses. With one click, it pulls in all of the data from your social platforms into your very own custom dashboard. 
Our friends at Supermetrics created a new Facebook ads overview dashboard for Data Studio that reports on the performance of your paid campaigns. This includes costs, clicks, return on ad spend, and audiences. Get the template and start your 14-day free Supermetrics trial at supermetrics.com forward slash social pros, all lowercase. Again, that is supermetrics.com forward slash social pros. And now let's hear from Kelsey Murray, Associate Vice President, Global Head of Social Media for NASDAQ. Kelsey Murray, Associate Vice President, Global Head of Social Media for NASDAQ. Welcome to Social Pros. It is so great to have you here today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, I, we are so excited to have you here too. But before we get into all of these amazing social questions, I have, Adam and I have so many questions we want to throw at you today. <laughs> First, I got to start off, I really need to know, now that you work for NASDAQ, you've been there a year and a half now, how many times per day when you introduce yourself or in how many instances does somebody throw out a trading places reference it, or is it all just like Wolf of Wall Street questions now? Like how many times do you have to bat those questions and comparisons away? That's, that's a very good question. Also, because my background mostly hasn't been working in, in sort of a, a lot of it hasn't been in finance. So I think I more so get questions around like stock memes and the AMC retail trading, you know, conversation that's happened this year. Um, and typically, you know, my answer is to defer and <laughs> say, you know, I know just as much as you do. But um, but I think that's probably the most the most significant question I get asked most often. Like, how do you follow it? How do you make sure you're managing it? All that kind of thing. Nice. Well, good to know. I just know my husband's name is Forrest and everybody's like, oh, Forrest Gump. And he's like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I imagine you probably get you will probably get even more trading places and Wolf of Wall Street references after this. <laughs> Absolutely. In the meantime, we actually do have a ton of questions to ask you about. So, of course, Associate Vice President, Global Head of Social Media for NASDAQ. You've been there a year and a half, as we mentioned before. Tell us a little bit about what that's like. I mean, that's a big role. There's a lot to cover. You have a team. Tell us a little bit about what your day to day looks like. It is. It's a, it's a very, um, you know, large scale role in that there's so many business units at NASDAQ. You know, most people think of NASDAQ as um, a U.S. equities exchange. But in reality, we are a global tech company and we are powering capital markets everywhere. And so um, a lot of times it's actually about, you know, further educating people that, you know, that is the sexy side of working at NASDAQ, working with, um, you know, prospects um, to be NASDAQ listed companies, talking to them about what their social strategy looks like on their day one for their IPO, but then our consistent partnership after that. Um, but then also I work with incredible other business units at NASDAQ and there's often like a golden thread that weaves throughout all of them. They're all really super connected, but we have a data and index business. We have a massive technology business. Um, we have a governance solutions business, a NASDAQ private market. We have investment uh, investor relations. So there's so many different business units working at NASDAQ. And also as the social team, you know, we're also highly connected to a lot of other sort of orgs at NASDAQ who leverage social um, to be successful in their roles, like um, HR and the people team for recruiting and employer branding uh, processes. Um, so really, in reality, I feel like I'm connected to the whole org, also the government relations team, most of who are based in D.C. Um, so on a daily basis, you know, we are rolling out my team and I are responsible for rolling out organic and paid social media strategies for our listed companies, um, for ourselves and launching sort of large scale, broad um, campaigns around 
the core things that matter to NASDAQ, which this year has really been focused on our purpose initiative um, and philanthropy, as well as our ESG initiatives and the fact that we are the leader in biotech. Um, all, all, almost, I think, 98% of companies uh, that are biotech companies are listed on NASDAQ. So those are really the, the true focuses on a day-in, day-out basis, making sure that our messaging relates to that. But then I would also just say, you know, social media is about people. At the end of the day, social means social first. So you're having conversations with your communities. Um, and that means putting a spotlight on the people who work at NASDAQ. So telling their stories. Why are they passionate about working at NASDAQ? Who are they? Where are they based? And what are the products and services they're building? So that NASDAQ continues to be a global um, technology leader. Kelsey, I want to I want to go back to what you just articulated. All these different kind of aspects of uh, of the Nasdaq business, and I think in a way you you answered this question, but I want to go a little bit more detail. When I ask you, you know, who is the audience that you're thinking about, and how prescriptive are you? You know, is is your audience for your social media activities investors? Is it the financial professionals? Is it fintech? As you said. NASDAQ, your technology runs so many of the ones and zeros that uh, that turn into the dollars and cents of, of of our entire economy. Is it company founders who are thinking about going to IPO and they're looking at your exchange versus others? Is it media? How, how prescriptive are you when you say, okay, we've got this dozen or so audiences. Do we need to check the box off of reaching out to each of these or are there two or three that you really double down on? Uh, I think that's a great question. And I would say the short answer is all of those people, but uh, the longer answer is there's many, many more. So um, we're a global company. So also you have to think about our, I think our second biggest office is in Stockholm, Sweden, which I had the pleasure of going to last February. Um, but we're sort since we're a global company, we leverage both organic and paid social media strategies to make sure that we're reaching all those people. From an organic perspective, I would tell you that we really have the retail and institutional investor uh, audience covered in a big way. They are absolutely following us and engaging with our content really regularly. And what the um, the other big thing is, is that when a company IPOs on NASDAQ or direct lists, um, their employees start following us right away. So they're engaging with our content. So we're we're growing really quickly, which is exciting to see since I've, I have only been here for a year and a half. Um, but I would tell you that on a daily basis, if you ask that question related to listings, obviously the investor audience is incredibly important to us. We want to be telling the stories of our listed companies to those uh, and potential investors for those companies. Um, but separately, you know, when you think about fintech or you think about the decision makers at big technology companies, those are the people we also want to be reaching. Um, so if they're not already following us, we're getting, you know, we're putting our messaging in front of them through um, paid social media strategies. And we're doing that in a big way. So when we roll out a campaign, it's not small scale. You know, there's there's multimedia assets included. And we're also making sure to invest in the, you know, in social in the right way so that we can prove out those people are seeing our content and that they are you know reacting to it the right way. You mentioned the kind of the listing moments, and that is one of the most mediable, I think, opportunities for uh, for your organization when a new company has their IPO or they've switched uh, exchanges and they, they come there to the proverbial market site, which we'll get to in, in a little bit, and they have the big ceremony. I would assume that there is a lot of coordination between your team and that company's team, you know, because this is a huge watershed moment for them as well. They're 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 being listed. They're going public. 
I'm curious how cookie cutter those types of events are for how your social media team handles it, or is everyone different? That is a great question. I'm actually very happy you asked that. Um, so honestly, I would say pre-COVID, um, you know, we were only seeing four to five IPOs a week, right? And, and typically there wasn't IPOs on Mondays. In COVID, we started seeing 30 a week. <laughs> um, and by the end of, in the, in the year of 2020, I think we had 300 IPOs that happened in total. I would tell you, and I also have the same, you know, the same exact team I had then that I do now. Um, we capped out at 300. And everyone working remotely too, quarter. I would assume. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, this year, we've already surpassed that 300 number. Um, and we're, you know, well on our way to, you know, maybe I, I'm not sure where the market will go this year, obviously, but we're definitely, you know, cruising past it very quickly. So um, we're about to put out a campaign in July around the total number of listings that have been on a NASDAQ, but it's, it's definitely significantly more than we're used to. And I would also tell you that what's great is that in COVID, we had to switch, like you, like you noted, Adam, like those events, typically we're at market site in Times Square at our office, our flagship office in, in New York City. When COVID happened, we couldn't have any of those people into our offices anymore. So we had to pivot. But with, since we are a global tech company, we actually did this pretty flawlessly. And a lot of those um, campaigns and celebrations became completely digital. So we moved our interviews, our content creation, our celebrations were even external um, and digital. And we did that, you know, by building apps really quickly and by building content really quickly, all which we did digitally and we did all over Zoom. So um, we were able to really, you know, increase that over time. And I would tell you that, I guess, too, since I've been here, the partnerships have become a lot more bespoke. We want to make sure that when we're delivering an event for that for that company, it's almost like a marriage. You know, you're going into it. It's your big wedding day. And then you're committed to working with us, hopefully, after that for a very long time. So we want to make sure that day is special for every company that lists. And as we've seen more and more companies come to NASDAQ, um, we want to make sure that we're providing them the experience that makes sense for their audiences, their prospects, their clients, and their employees, most importantly, because this is a big deal, not only for the C-suite of those companies, but for the employees that have helped build those companies. Um, so that means sending them merch to their home and having them share selfies um, of them and their dogs or them and their kids, which are, are then amplified onto the market site tower in Times Square and then given back to them to post on their social channels. So I would tell you that it's changed a lot, even in the past year and a half, which I would imagine most most, most social people would say. But um, but this year alone, almost every celebration is bespoke. It's completely you know dedicated to that one company, what they want, what they're interested in, how they really want to bring their brand awareness to life um, on, that, on that wedding celebration day. <laughs> That's amazing. And the fact that you're still doing all of these bespoke celebrations and really making it really social and really interactive and, and really involving people is so amazing. How do you, can you walk us through how you and the team plan for these bespoke launches and these celebrations and because this is in order to get this amazing amount of engagement and activity and really celebrate it takes a lot of planning a lot of work and a lot of people so can you walk us through maybe yeah. one of your uh typical campaigns or even maybe one of your favorite campaigns um in recent year or so and, and just talk through how that came to life yeah, absolutely. I would say some of the most exciting campaigns in the past year have been when Airbnb listed. And then most recently this year, when Bumble listed in February, they did um, sort of a dual celebration. It was it was in person at their their beehive in Austin, Texas. 
Um, and then most recently, The Honest Company was one of the first companies to bring in a lot more people to the market site location in New York City. So Jess Galba was there. Um, and then we had a our first this year, our first direct listing on NASDAQ this year, uh, Coinbase was in March. So we've had a lot of very high profile um, groups come in and, and really, to your point, it's all about planning. So we get on the phone and, and really it's not just social. Um, it's really, we have a large execution team. So we have events, we have creative, we have a marketing team, we have social broadcast, I mean, video. I mean, we have a significant team in place and a lot of whom have been at NASDAQ for quite some time. We get on the phone with their social team and we just start talking through exactly how they picture their day. Honestly, and I and I, I use this a lot, but like honestly, what you would say to your wedding planner, like I want this is what I expect my celebration to be. This is who I want to focus on. Do I want to focus on my employees that day? Do I want to focus on investors that day? And then we work with them to th- say, okay, here are sort of the the main things we offer for that day. And then depending on how you really want to the audiences you want to reach, that's when we um that's when we pivot and make sure that we're bringing those specific experiences they want to life. So for example, with Bumble. That one was um, a, just a different type of event, given that it wasn't in the market site offices. Um, Whitney wanted to ring the bell from the Beehive in Austin, Texas. Um, she had, you know, she had, I think she had just given birth in the last year. So her son was with her, her family was with her. Um, and then we had, a, they had a lot of Bumble employees at the office. So, you know, their typical color is bright yellow. We planned a lot of fun gifs in advance where like NASDAQ and, and um, Bumble sw- swiped on each other. We made a fun gif out of that. So there was a lot of like pre-creation that was in the works well before the Christmas time, basically. And so going into February, we were very, very much prepared to really bring that celebration to life in a huge way. And where we're rolling out content throughout the entire day. So video interviews, clips, you know, GIFs, quote cards, you know, the, the, it's a huge list of content creation that's well executed in advance and approved from their end to make sure that they're very happy with the celebration. That's awesome. So it sounded like you had at least a good couple months with Bumble. What is your typical planning time frame? Like when does all of this kind of have to get crunched into? Well, I would tell you it's typically like three months, but this year because so many companies, right. you know, are really urgent, you know, really rushing to go public, um, those those timely lines have definitely shortened. And I would tell you like there are tons of IPOs even slated for next week going into the holiday week and you know, we're finalizing plans right now. <laughs> Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, it's, it's my team. I'm, I'm very lucky. It's, it takes a village and they're very nimble and they're, they create boundaries very well and they know how to, um, deliver very beautiful content. So I, I'm lucky that I'm a part of their team. <laughs> beautiful content. That is something I want to, I want to double click on a little bit because it, it brings me back to a, a marketing story. And I, I and I told Kelsey I was going to ask her about this right before we hit the record button. This is a story that I have been using, I mean, way before my time at Salesforce. And I've been at Salesforce for eight years. But I was telling this story back in my times in PR and at Coca-Cola and at Dell. Uh, we go back to like the year 1989. In 1989, uh, CNBC was founded, the ubiquitous financial channel. And CNBC, of course, would cut to you know, a, a, a reporter that was sitting on the trade floor at your competitor, the New York Stock Exchange, because it had a real trading floor and there were buzz and hype and excitement and enthusiasm. And they could tell you how the Dow was doing and all that. NASDAQ doesn't have a trading floor, as many of our listeners may not know. 
it's basically a big server farm. I mean, NASDAQ is completely virtual. Talk about cloud computing before cloud computing. And someone had the genius idea. We need somewhere that, that has a sense of energy and excitement and enthusiasm. And that was where the NASDAQ market site, as Kelsey said, on Times Square with huge jumbotrons and, of course, a huge jumbotron that goes up the side of the building uh, and now is ubiquitous as much as the actual exchange floor. What I think is remarkable about that, Kelsey, is that someone at NASDAQ in marketing and communications realized the importance of making this visual. We're talking about dollars and cents here. How do we make it visual? And that is very much, it sounds like the challenge that you are very, being very successful with in creating new innovative content to take the story further, whether it's an IPO or it's talking about your employees so my question after that huge long preamble is anything else you can add about market site and how it kind of fits in to your whole social media kind of, I guess, recipe. But secondly, when you're thinking about stories and you're thinking about platforms, even when you're on platforms like Instagram, how, how does the visual aspect of the story really fit into your editorial calendar? No, that's such a great question. Um, and truly a market site is such a core aspect of NASDAQ. Um, this year, actually, we're celebrating our 50th anniversary. Um, so it's actually, it, it was a huge celebration that happened in February where, um, you know, past executives, currently our CEO, Adina Friedman, um, rang the bell in honor of that 50th anniversary. But market site is an absolute sort of key aspect of the NASDAQ strategy. Um, when we pivoted in COVID, you know, honestly, it was it was sort of a good thing that we didn't need to close a trading floor and reconfigure how we were going to work through that. We were a global tech company already. So making that pivot wasn't a huge lift for us because all those things are happening digitally. They're happening globally um, already. But to your point, when you think about MarketSite, it's, it's a celebratory place. It's a place where we host our clients, where we host companies going public with, you know, confetti and balloons and... Um, <laughs> Like full, it's basically like a TV show when we bring them in. And to your point, also Squawk Box, CNBC, Fast Money, they're all filmed out of our market site location. So a lot of those key people that we're used to working with and alongside, you know, weren't there for a very long time and actually just recently came back to market site. So all, everything really pivoted to, um, to digital and social, which, you know, was a huge lift for my team in, in a good way. We had to really get creative. We had to really innovate. Um, but market sites still will and always be a big part of what NASDAQ is. We actually reopened it during COVID. Um, we opened up additional floors in the market site building. The tower itself is where we celebrate all of our IPOs. And now that we have this market site uh, tower app, which our creative and product team built, you know, the, all the um, employees who are coming in to celebrate the IPO or have to do so from afar can upload that photo digitally of themselves, of their family, of them and their dogs during their IPO celebration. It gets fed back into the app and they're able to share that tower shot of themselves in Times Square on their social channels. So they don't physically have to be in Times Square in order to celebrate there. Um, so a lot of those sort of pivots during COVID were a big thing for us. Um, but to your point, market site still still is and will be like our main um, our main celebration place. And you know, when a company comes in, you know, we I know there are only there's an open and a close uh, when it comes to the market. So 9:30 and 4 p.m. is when we host those clients. They come in, they come into really where Squawk Box is filmed. You've got you know media above us, all these lights shining on. You've got video cameras and you've got uh, photography, and you truly feel like you're on set of a TV show. 
Um, and that's really what it's filmed like because it's all being projected into Times Square for hundreds of thousands of people to see on a daily basis. Um, and so, you know, like I like I keep mentioning that wedding day feeling is there. Everyone mm -hmm. is nervous. Everyone is excited. You know, these these C-level executives are making speeches behind a massive podium, opening the bell, talking about how they built these companies from scratch or that they built it based on no money or from their basement. You know, incredible, incredible founder stories. And we're able to then take that all that content, all that celebration that's happening in MarketSite, cut it up for, like you mentioned, Instagram. One of the biggest moments we love to cut is when the CEO physically like presses the button on the podium and rings the bell. You know, you have the alarm sounding, you have confetti going off everywhere. It's it's such an exciting moment. And it's one where, you know, people have cried, people have hugged. Like this is an emotional pulling moment. And it's often the one that we cut immediately because it's going to drive the most like emotive pull for our audiences across social. Um, because if people, people feel connected to other people and their stories, they're more likely to invest and they're more likely to follow that group and company as they move along in their IPO process and, and their, their journey as a public company. But MarketSite is truly a gem for NASDAQ and will continue to be, um, as I think we'll continue to have sort of these dual types of celebrations, both digitally, socially, um, and in person at MarketSite as uh, more restrictions are lifted on a daily basis. Kelsey Murray, Associate Vice President, Global Head of Social Media for NASDAQ. You have just articulated how you take something that may not at first glance seem emotional and exciting and visual and, and transform it into something like that. You also talked about all the different constituents that you have to deal with. You're dealing with the CEO of these companies. You're dealing with CNBC and other media and the other financial media. You're in a live studio. You're in all these types of things and you're dealing with the most regulated of regulated content. I mean, the SEC is looking at every single thing that's going on your social media uh, platforms. Talk a little bit about how you kind of handle all this very, very sensitive information and, you know, and how you actually ingest that content, how you get approval for all that content. Do you have to coordinate with, for example, CNBC or anything like that on different posts, or is it very much firewalled? I think everybody would be fascinated on the actual process of approving things that could make or break a market or make it break if you made a mistake one of these companies that's that's launching on your exchange. Yeah, and that's a really important point. I would say I would have my answer is probably twofold. The first is we have an incredible PR and comms team and they're working directly with CNBC producers on a daily basis and I would say that, you know, we're working with a lot of the financial and business news media. So Fox, like you mentioned, Fox Business, um, Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal, you know, they're working with all these different media companies um, making sure that if those companies have interests in interviewing the you know, CEOs or executives or thought leaders from these companies, they have access to them and that everything is sort of pre-planned and advanced and approved on, on everyone's end, media, client, and NASDAQ's end. So all of that is de definitely done well in advance. And, you know, it's all sort of shifting in real time, you know, as news comes up, you know, so if a company goes public tomorrow and there's a huge you know, thing that happens in culture, you know, they're most likely going to connect in some way in that interview. So our team is, like I said, extremely nimble around preparing everyone for those interviews and for those conversations with media outlets. Um, and then separately, you know, from, from our end, we have incredible legal teams um, and so do our clients. And so often when 
we're preparing content with them, you know, we're getting those necessary approvals much in advance. But I'd also say that when it comes to the the organic social media storytelling that we're doing, we're less focused on, you know, the, the price of the stock price or the amount of shares that we're, you know, are being sold. We're focused on the people because the people are going to be telling the stories around the, the brand and the brands are such a movable, livable, moldable thing that are changing in real time and can be sort of rebranded or renewed on a daily basis or completely tarnished and all those things, you know, we're thinking about when we think about our social strategy, how are we putting a spotlight on the people who built that company that is going public in a way that's going to resonate with our audiences, but also with theirs because the people who follow them and have been for a while um, they want to know, you know, how this how this company is celebrating this momentous day and how their what their future looks like as a public company, especially a public company on Nasdaq. So we tend to um, focus less on the sort of business nuances and focus more so on the people, the CEOs, the founder stories, even the employees who you know who are part of building that brand. Who are they? What you know? Why are they passionate about that brand? Why? Are, you know, work, it takes up so much of our lives, right? So the people who are putting so much effort and, you know, emotional and mental ties into these big companies who are going public, you know, they, you know, this is a huge day for them. So we really, you know, our social, you know, really, really tends to resonate more by focusing on the people. And that's really not so much of a focus, I, I would guess, for, from an SEC perspective. <laughs> I'm sure one of the things that maybe potentially gave legal a bit more of a migraine was your and the team's entry into TikTok because it is so different and it is so much less, I think, predictable and established for brands in so many ways. I'm curious, how did you actually broach the topic of getting onto TikTok? Were there any other legal considerations? But then also too, in general, you know, LinkedIn and Twitter are your primary channels for very good and very obvious reasons, but there's still a lot of opportunity on TikTok. So I'm just curious, how did those conversations evolve? Were there any other legal considerations you had to take into account with that? And then how does that overall strategy look in general as compared to some of your really core pillar channels? That's a great question. I would say legal is always at the top of my mind on any social platform. <laughs> so if they're listening to this, <laughs> it's nine over one. Um, but no, that's a great question. And I think um, I have a couple answers for you. Like LinkedIn and Twitter, like you said, are going to be our, you know, our, our main ones, but we are everywhere. We're on every platform, YouTube, Facebook, we're on all of them. Um, I say Twitter and LinkedIn because we do focus heavily on the business community. And the, um, the decision makers and the sort of shareholders, those people are on LinkedIn and they're the ones that are logging into their LinkedIn and checking it and, you know, sending thought leadership out into the world. So when you think about all these different platforms, our strategy has to make sense for each platform. We don't have a one size fits all approach. Um, but when it comes to TikTok, that's a great question. It's, you know, it's always going to be sort of something legal will have a concern with. It's always something that will have, you know, be top of mind when we're launching on different platforms. Um, but you also have to think about our business model, right? So any company who's private, who has the potential to go public is going to be a friend of NASDAQ. <laughs> so um, so TikTok is, you know, an emerging platform. It has incredible voices on it. And it's really a priority for, I would say, mostly Gen Z, but millennials are 100% are, are on there as well. Um, so when we think about our audiences, you know, TikTok, we're on it. We're definitely um, thinking about it. It's something that our clients are thinking about. 
What I really like to caution about is, you know, there are new emerging platforms every single day. So taking NASDAQ away from the equation as a social media leader, it is my job to make sure that I'm not only educating my senior leaders and executives around what these platforms are and what they could be for us. But I also and and also like you like you noted the the sort of hesitations and, and red flags at, at play. But more so, these platforms should never be a place that we just jump into just because they're there. There needs to be a reason. There needs to be a team member associated to it. There needs to be bandwidth. There needs to be budget and all those things. Regardless of what brand you work on, it's really easy to get an email from a senior executive, and, and this didn't necessarily happen at Nasdaq. It's just happened my whole career. Is that you'll get a note and be like, "Oh, Peach launched. Are we on it yet? What are we doing? What's the strategy?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, let me just whip that up right right up for you, like with my spare time." So I think I think it's really important for all social media, you know, leaders or managers who are listening to this podcast is to not rush onto those platforms until you're sure that it makes sense for your business, that your audiences are present on the platform, and that you have the right resources in place in order to um, go after it the right way. And for TikTok, yes, you know, Gen Z is absolutely important to us. And we definitely will be moving a lot more of efforts towards that platform in the future. But given that our main audiences are on these other platforms, you know, that's where you'll tend to see more of our content at the given moment. But we definitely have plans to expand in the future. Wise advice, uh, Kelsey, I think, for how to approach uh, new social platforms. I want to kind of go a little tactical here for a second because I know our listeners will, will be interested in this. You mentioned dealing and working with your public relations team and all the other uh, important or parts of the NASDAQ organization. And I'm curious tactically how you do that. I think I think you mentioned to us before the show you use Sprinkler as your social media platform, but I'm curious kind of how you kind of ed Cal out in terms of working with all these different organizations in terms of, okay, you know, 300 IPOs in one week. Oh my, I mean, in one year, oh my goodness. How you know kind of what those are, how you know what kind of storylines are going with those, both with broadcast as well as digital, as well as social. How do, is, is, are there a lot of spreadsheets? Are there a lot of global calendars? How do you kind of get together and, and map all this out and know that, you know, your part is being taken care of, but it's consistent and aligned with, with what may be happening, you know, with the traditional media teams? So that's a great question and not something that I would say I'm an expert in yet, but definitely something I've sort of wrangled and organized as I've, I've started, you know, as, as I've continued to grow my career in ASDAQ. Um, I would say number one is relationship management, because before you have a calendar and before you have, you know, your launching campaigns, you have relationships. And so at NASDAQ, a lot of the, a lot of the employees at NASDAQ have been there for many years, um, which is a great testament to the company and the brand. Um, so when I first got to NASDAQ in January of 2020, the first thing I did was meet every single person on the marketing and communications teams. You know, I wasn't going to change anything or alter anything until I understood the lay of the land. What were the challenges that needed to be fixed? or the communications errors that were happening that, you know, that I could really start to streamline and create better workflows for. Um, and then I started, I, you know, I got to work, I would say in March, um, which is when COVID started. So I had a lot of, um, you know, one of the first things I did was put together sort of a larger working team to understand what were the different campaigns going out? Should they be going out as paid campaigns instead of organic social campaigns, which is often the case because, you know, at any company, not just NASDAQ, you think by posting something on Twitter, you're going to be getting a million retweets and your target audience will be seeing that. When in reality, like maybe our audience in the UK isn't as strong as it can be. And that way we need to leverage paid to reach those people. 
So, you know, putting the right people on the right, you know, distro lists and in the right rooms and in the right Zoom meetings, I was then able to get a constant understanding of what's launching. But that's by building relationships first. So I have really strong relationships with every marketing team within the global Marcoms um, group. I'm technically on the corporate communications team. Um, so those are my call. Those are my direct teammates in, in a lot of ways. Um, so I'm just clued in at every moment. So if I can't make a meeting, I get a recap. Or if I, I lead a lot of meetings on Fridays and Monday mornings so that I often compare myself to you know, that meme with, I think it's, he might be from the office where like the guy has like the board behind him and he's like this with all the, it's basically like one big math equation. Um, so often like I have a Monday morning standing call at 9am with all the marketers who touch social, who create content for social, um, who upload and publish for social. And I get a, and I on, I honestly know what's going live next week before anyone else does. But what I do is I, I convene them so they can hear it from each other. So when I tell them one of the, one of the team members that they're going to have to move their campaign to a different time frame, they all have heard the fact that we have 25 high profile IPOs next week. And they're more, they're more, you know, they're one, they're brought along Two, they're a part of the conversation and a part of the, the collaboration that goes into timing around organic content. And, um, and then three, they can then take that information and bring it back to their stakeholders or their sales teams so that those teams are brought along and understanding when that content is going to go out and actually what kind of impact it will drive. Because honestly, there's nothing worse than being on a social team where you just post to post and there's no real ROI that you're trying to drive. And so when I, when I do work with these different teams, I try to get to them. What is your objective? Are we reaching your audiences the right way? Is that going on the right platforms? Um, but more importantly, you know, setting up some great internal workflows so that there's a creative menu for both organic and paid social campaigns that they can choose from so that I don't have to be in the weeds of every campaign prior to launch. I'll, I have like great faith in the marketers that I work with that they, they'll prepare that based on some of the, the menus I've created um, and that they can launch their campaign without me being a part of it, you know, the entire way along. So it's really about constant communication. Things change all the time, but we're really sort of a month ahead in advance of planning out our campaigns for that for that full month. So I would tell you that right now I know everything launching in July. I'm sure some things will shift and some things will get added. Um, but I get I sort of I really am only able to do that because I have solid relationships with everyone in the marketing department and the, and the PR department. So they know to tell me when things are launching so they can get what they need. So one of the things, Kelsey, I like that you just touched on a lot there, and you touched on it even previously, is really relationships and relationship building and communication. And it really sounds like in order to execute these big, exciting, amazing campaigns and really make everything run like clockwork, it takes a lot of trust and it takes a lot of, as you had mentioned, relationship building. How do you find the best way to do that, especially now people are, we've all heard about, you know, mass migration and people getting new jobs and, you know, a lot of people are still working remote. What have you found, especially since you really had to do all of this working remote, what are the best ways to build these relationships, gain that trust, build that trust in your team? What are some of those approaches you recommend, especially when working remote? It's a great question. I would say, um, you know, one is, is the putting in the time. Well, you know, I have one-on-ones with some of these marketing groups. I join their team meetings. I'm constantly over-communicating on my end so that they feel comfortable doing the same on theirs. Um, I also, you know, I make the time to 
and I, and that's intentional because I really, truly like when we use our hashtag NASDAQ fam, it's truly because NASDAQ feels like a family to work at because some of these people have been working at this company for many years now. Um, and so, you know, I put the effort in intentionally and purposefully and, and really authentically to make sure that my relationships with these people are, they, they're meaningful. You know, I will put 30 minutes on to reconnect with you know, a, you know, a mid-level marketer on the technology team or on the NGS or on the governance team so that they feel like I'm updating them about what's happening on the social team, which things move so quickly that updating them on a weekly basis is almost something that I should be, you know, should or could be doing. Um, so just keeping in touch. Um, but on the other hand, knowing where there's boundaries, because there's a lot of times when you're working in client relationships where they want to get on the phone every day until their IPO. And like, and no, 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 no team has that sort of bandwidth. So being, you know, putting those guardrails in place by being like, here are our briefs, here is the process, here's the timeline, here are the expectations so that those sort of clients, and that's not, that's not just our list of clients. We have clients all over the company, obviously with eight, nine different business units um, so that everyone has very clear expectations and no one is um, disappointed by what they're, what they're doing when they collaborate with my team. Um, but I would tell you that, you know, relationship, I really lead my team based on relationships. You know, mental health is a huge thing when it comes to social. People burn out all the time, particularly in this line of business. And I think it's so important that if you lead social teams or that if you are overseeing a social team, you're super cognizant of that because we're the ones reading the comments and the direct messages and all of the sort of negative, a lot of, a lot of negative, con you know, commentary that's happening on social while also delivering massive campaigns and rollout plans. Social sits at, the, sits at the core of every aspect of marketing and comms. We sit between video, social, I mean, video, marketing, events, paid, lead generation. We sit at the middle of all of it. So we're connected to all of it, which is both a, both a blessing and a curse sometimes because sometimes it can be a lot. So one of the first, you know, one of the you know, main things that matters to me is that I have enough bandwidth on my team and that my team is getting the right rest and the right, um, you know, paid time off or flex Fridays so that they can, you know, they can rewind and, and get away, for, you know, disconnect. And then when they come back, they're really ready to start again. Um, but in order to do that, you have to have buy-in from the top. You know, you know, a lot of teams are, are from social specifically, not, not related to NASDAQ, just teams I've been on in the past are just completely, you know, under budgeted and under supported, but expected to deliver the world. And I think that's really unfair. So um, that's a very important aspect of, of when I think of myself as a social media leader to really make sure that I'm cognizant of that. Love it. Oh, so much. There's so much I want to unpack in there, but I think, <laughs> I think Kelsey, this is the perfect transition because we're starting to jump already into the big two. So Kelsey Murray, Associate Vice President, Global Head of Social Media for NASDAQ. Are you ready to give some more advice as we jump into these same big two questions that we have asked all 479 guests of social pros. Absolutely. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So first question of the big two, what piece of advice would you give anyone who wants to become a social pro? Wow, such a good question. Um, I would say my biggest piece of advice would be patient with yourself. Um, but be impatient with the world around you. So you can only do so many, you can only do so much in a given day. You only have so many hours and so much bandwidth, um, especially, you know, if you're on a team with smaller, a smaller amount of people, 
Um, but definitely expect the world to move faster than it does. Expect every, expect more from, you know, every interaction, every moment, every institution, every year, um, and then position yourselves, yourself to be put in moments that matter and, and train yourself to know what to do when you find yourself there. Um, because social media teams are often, you know, working with different, you know, many different levels of executives across the company. And, you know, you know, preparing yourself to be in those, those positions is really important. Love it. So grace, gratitude, prepping yourself, being kind to yourself. I love yeah. that. I agree. Adam, I think, I think all of us, every single guest we've had can be nicer to themselves. I think everybody's really harsh on themselves, especially in this environment. And, and I think, Kelsey, that's what she said. This is such a, I think, stressful pressure cooker of an industry that, that we live in as social pros and, you know, with, 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 with our, our mental and emotional health, uh, we have to, to do just like you said. I think it's great advice. All right, Kelsey, your second question of the final big two. If you could do a video call with any living person, who would it be and why? I think, oh, this is such a hard question because I have so many answers. Um, I think it would be Bob Iger because from, you know, from Disney and I think he's no longer the CEO. I think he's still the chairman. I forget, but what he's I- He's back and forth during the pandemic, yeah, back granted. Back. Yeah. That makes sense. And granted the pandemic. But what, what I'm most interested in and what really fascinates me is how much, how much corporate, uh, corporate businesses have changed since social media began. And as someone who's, you know, has sort of grown up in it, I've been in rooms at a very young age where very senior leaders who have been at companies and working in business for many years have, you know, asked me questions where sometimes they take my answer seriously. And then sometimes they don't because I was such a young person in that room. And so... I would just love, you know, Disney, you know, social media, I imagine is a huge driver for Disney, both in sales, awareness, um, continues to be a huge, you know, aspect of planning for a Disney vacation. But I would just love to know sort of how he thought about social when it first came about and just how he how how he had to sort of pivot his organization throughout all these digital changes that have happened. Um, because running a company of that size, um, and of that nature is, is just so fascinating to me. Like, how did, you know, how did he sleep at night? <laughs> I would love to know. <laughs> what a great answer. And I mean, I, I we've done we've 480 of these. I've done 300 or so. I don't think Mr. Iger has ever been referenced. Genius. No, I don't think so either. But I, yeah, I'm curious too. How, like, especially like I think about how big Disney is and I'm already getting a panic attack and I don't. Or, and I'm not responsible for any single part of it. Same. I'm like, how did you do that? And then you got to think about the movie aspect and how many movies launched. I'm like, how did you do that? Yeah, that is, uh, how does he sleep? Maybe we can get him on, <laughs> on the show and then Kelsey will have you back and you can just ask oh him God. all these questions. I think everybody would love to know. Making my dreams come true, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That's, that's what we aim to do here. Um, Kelsey Murray, Associate Vice President, Global Head of Social Media for NASDAQ. Thank you so much for joining us today. This, this was a delight. We covered so many topics. We covered so many things. Um, you gave so much amazing advice. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me, both of you, Adam and Anna. I, I love this conversation. So thanks for having me. Thank you. And real quick, just give a shout out. Where can everybody follow you? Obviously, go follow NASDAQ on every single channel. But where can people connect with you? 
Um, on LinkedIn, it's Kelsey Murray, K-E-L-S-E-Y-M-U-R-R-A-Y. And my Instagram is Kel- at Kelsey E. Murray. Fantastic. All right, everybody, go follow Kelsey. Go follow NASDAQ. And everybody, thank you so much for listening. Once again, um, on behalf of Adam Brown from Salesforce, I want to give you a huge thank you for tuning in. And uh, we will talk to you again next week on what we hope is your favorite podcast ever, Social Pros. Social Pros.